You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, good morning, Midtown family. Always fun to see you guys enjoying conversations with each other. And you get props right from the start by being the diehards that made it here during the, during the crazy storm. So thanks for joining us. Um, we got to give like real props to the setup team though, because the setup team, they, they were drenched. So props to them. So hopefully teardown team will have a little bit better, uh, better luck. Um, we're going to continue in our series in, in Philippians. Oh, I didn't introduce myself. I know some of you might be new. My name's Justin, and I'm an associate pastor here uh, at Midtown. We'd love to meet you afterward too, so come say hi. And uh, fill out the connection card, like they said. Two quick uh, announcements I wanted to make, uh, just kind of family announcements. They're not here today, but, but Baby Strong was born. So Samuel Strong was born. So give uh, James and Shelby your love and sign up to be on their meal train and help them out during this fun new season. I'm sure we'll get to all meet Samuel here uh, pretty soon in the next couple of weeks. And secondly, I just wanted to uh, reiterate, kind of coming off of what the Bennett shared, just the importance of inviting people to join us for worship, um, particularly as we have Easter Sunday coming up. Like, I think it's a great chance that a lot of our friends, like that might be the one opportunity where they have something about their childhood that makes them consider coming on an Easter. And we're going to have a blast on Easter too, because we're going to have the, hopefully it's not going to be raining like this. We're going to have a great uh, uh, Easter egg hunt outside. It's so fun to watch the kids and while the kids are having fun and doing that, we'll actually have Torchy's tacos for all of us. So we will we'll be enjoying ourselves too. Uh, just a fun way to celebrate and worship. Would encourage you to grab some flyers actually on the back um, at the connections table and invite your friends. Uh, see what God might do and might, might have them up here sharing a story like the Bennett's did, you know, just a few years from now. So now we're going to get started with the sermon. I want to start with a question. The question is Have you ever met a hippie? Like, you weren't, weren't expecting that one, were you, right? So have you ever really met like a genuine hippie? I mean, I'm talking like a real hippie from like the 60s and the 70s, like you might think that there's kind of like, a, you know, modern day hip, hippies or maybe hipsters, but no, 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 I'm talking like the genuine hippie. Well, I can tell you that I have because I grew up with it. My parents were like crazy hippies. And so I can, I can spot a hippie pretty easy because I actually grew up with it. So you want to play a game? You want to you play a game called uh, You Know You're a Hippie If? Okay, let's, let's try it. So you know you're a hippie if you look like this. This is a picture of my parents. Look at that fro. My dad has got the chops, a fro, those sweet leather jackets with the tassels kind of flowing in the wind. It's just so, so hippie-like. I remember my, my brother and I actually used to love the, those jackets. Or we've got this next picture. This is more like what my dad normally looked like with my brother and I, just the sweet stash, and he never wore a shirt. He pretty much was always shirtless. More, more, more on that later. Or, or look at this picture. He was also a photographer, so he would try to take even hippie pictures. So the next one with my mom, he's got this perfect little picture set up with a son, you know, coming in and just perfectly hitting her hair. And of course, hippies have to have flowers. So they're, they're my brother and I, are, you know, with our flowers in hand. I don't know why I'm wearing a turtleneck, but <laughs> you might be a hippie if you take pictures like that. Or you might be a hippie if your names, your nicknames for each other were Storm and Blossom. Storm and Blossom. I'm not joking. Like at my parents' wedding, they weren't referred to by their names. It was like, we now pronounce Storm and Blossom to be husband and wife. Like that was all over, their, all over the paraphernalia at their wedding. Or you know you might be a hippie if you're in a band because, you know, if you're a hippie, you've got to be like in a 70s band, right? In a 70s band, and if you're, the name of your band is Love Special Delivery. Yeah, that's a pretty good hippie name. I think we got a picture of my dad's band. Yeah, and that was like their cover photo. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you might be a hippie if you're that. You also might be a hippie if like all the pictures of my brother and I when we were young, we were naked. 
Like, that's a, that's a pretty good sign that you're a hippie. Like, I, I'm going to spare you those photos. You don't have to see those. No, no worries there. But I remember when my brother and I finally got to be like five or six years old, we're like, why are those pictures all over the house and we're naked? Like, take these down. You might be a hippie. Or you might be a hippie if you get your first dog, and guess what you name your dog? I think we have a picture here of a dog, Shalom. Yeah, <laughs> that's what a hippie would name their dog, right? Shalom. Shalom was this big, giant dog, and Shalom, of course, is the Hebrew word for peace, and that's what hippies wanted, man. They wanted peace, right? World peace. They wanted love, not war. They wanted peace. I have two stories. I don't actually remember Shalom, but my parents told me two stories about Shalom. One was that that's actually how I learned to walk, that Shalom was like super sweet with me, and I could grab her, his fur, and that's how I learned to just kind of walk, by grabbing onto Shalom. The other story they told about Shalom was that my dad was really into gardening, and he planted a tree, and like the day later, he came home, and Shalom had eaten the entire tree. <laughs> and then the story was that he went and chased her around, chased him around for like an hour, but could never catch him. So it was kind of ironic, right? Shalom didn't bring my, them much peace. <laughs> like it was, it didn't work. That has nothing to do with my sermon. Um, just, just thought I'd share some funny stories. No, it kind of does, because... And we'd have to admit, kind of like the hippies, right? I'm not disparaging that movement at all or the people with their concerns and their cares, but they really did want peace. And wouldn't you agree that that's something that you want too? That you want peace in the world, even on a more personal level, like you want peace in relationships with the people that you're with? And even not external peace, you want internal peace, right? You want peace of mind. Have you ever struggled, like let's just say even in the last couple of weeks, have you struggled with any anxiety or fear or depression or insecurity? In those times, have you wished that there could be like an inner peace instead that you could be experiencing? Or, or maybe have you had any external non-peace, like a conflict with somebody, and it carried with you, and it kind of ties up your emotions, and you can't seem to bridge the gap and have peace in a relationship that you have? We all want peace, right? And so if you're in that case, and you could say, yeah, sometime over the last week, I have felt that, and yes, I have wanted peace, and I think you're going to be really encouraged by uh, this passage that we're going to look at today, because Paul's actually going to speak here in this last chapter, we're finally in the last chapter of Philippians, and he's speaking to this church that he loves, and he's going to give them what I call three pathways to peace. He's going to say, here's a way that you can find peace relationally through reconciliation, peace in your inner self through meditation, and then peace with God through application. So we'll look at that, reconciliation, meditation, application. Uh, let's join first in prayer. God, we want you to speak to us, and so we just each individually pause for a minute to say, speak. Or we ask God that you use uh, these certainly feeble uh, words of mine. You can use them because it's your word and your spirit that's active, and so we invite you to be speaking to all of us who want peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Last chapter here now, he writes, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Once again, here at the end of the letter, Paul's experiencing, we've, we've kind of shown throughout this whole book that Paul has this really fond relationship with the Philippian church because of their partnership in the gospel. And so he's referring them here as brothers and sisters and dear friends. And he's saying, I'm, not kind of, I'm coming to a close in this letter, and here's what I want you to do. I want to, I want to talk to you about how you can stand firm. Stand firm in this way. 
And the first way is through reconciliation. It's pretty wild. He actually calls two people out, right? He's like writing this letter and he says, I plead with Yodia and Syntyche. You just got to say their names like you're confident. Yeah, Yodia and Syntyche. Yeah, that's what it is. Yodia and Syntyche had some sort of conflict. What's pretty wild is we don't know anything about these women. We don't see them in, in, throughout the rest of Scripture, so we don't know much about them except what Paul writes here. And he speaks very highly of it. He says that these two women have contended at my side for the sake of the gospel. Like these, these women have ministered with me. Yet something had come up between them, and so he's pleading, strong word, I plead with you that these guys would be of sound mind. And we don't know what their conflict was either. Like it could have been ministry-related, it could have been theological, it could have just been like an interpersonal conflict that they had with one another. Whatever the case is, Paul had heard about it, and now he's saying, I plead with these guys that they would agree with one another, be of same mind. And I love that, that that's actually the command, is to agree with one another. Kind of a wild thing, right? Where they, we, we like to think, well, the only say that we'll, we'll agree is like, we'll agree to disagree, right? <laughs> so they're saying, no, you have this agreement. He says, I, I want you guys to find a place of agreement beyond whatever it is that's come between you. Now, we know that Paul doesn't mean that they have to be exactly of the sound mind, like they have to believe in the exact same things, because elsewhere in Paul's letters he's writing, and he would write often about how Christians can have different views, and he would write about how they could love each other while still holding these different views. So we know that of sound mind didn't mean that they have to believe everything the same, but what it means when he's calling them to agreement is, I want you guys to put aside those differences and focus on what you can agree upon. Have you ever seen that to be like a real simple way to get to the heart of a conflict and get past a conflict? It's when you find a way to focus on the things that you agree on. And one of the ways you have to do that, right, is by listening. That's the most important thing that you can do. You're probably like me that maybe you're in a disagreement with someone, and one of the first things that I do is I, I start to think about all my defenses and what I want to say to make my point, right? When you're in some sort of a conflict, that's our, kind of our human nature. Instead of listening to the other person, what we're doing is we're already building up our own defenses. What if instead we could learn to, in a moment of conflict, pause, not give our reasons, not give our argument, but listen, even ask questions to hear when you listen, you can find a place of agreement. That's what Paul was calling for here. We don't have very many good models of this in our society right now, right? So uh, in our political climate, we don't have people modeling, finding a place of agreement very well. Uh, the way that we use social media uh, doesn't really help with finding agreement, right? But what Paul's calling them to do here, and he's pleading with them, like, I want you guys to agree with one another. Find common ground. Make God first. He says, agree with one another. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Find what you have in common in Christ and be united around that. Sometimes, though, as hard as we try, it's, it doesn't happen, right? If you ever had a conflict and you've done your best to try to listen, and sometimes what you need is an actual third party, and so that's what he does next. He says, I plead with you, and then he says, be, be reconciled, you know, be of same mind, but then he says, I'm talking to you. It's called my true companion, or some versions have the old King James Version, a yoke fellow. So he's appealing to this third person. Again, we don't even know who this third person is. Some people rightly, I think, think that it's Epaphroditus. We, we learned about him in chapter 2. He's likely the one that's actually carrying this letter back to them. Either way, Paul's appealing to one person, and he's saying, I want you to step in and get these sisters together and help them come to this place of agreement. Ever been in a situation where you need a third party, someone from the outside that doesn't, quote, like, have a dog in a fight that can help you? Sometimes that's a very biblical way to, to try to understand each other and find agreement. That's why I think marriage counseling is so great. When you get kind of at an impasse and you're stuck in something that you have going on, just go see a third party, someone who can actually do that for you. 
a number of years ago, Brenda and I uh, decided we needed to see a counselor. We had this particular argument that we just kept getting in time and time again, and as much as we tried to understand each other's perspective, we just couldn't. We couldn't seem to get it. So we said, look, we just need to get a third party to come and help us get there. What was wild when we met with this guy, he, he, did, he offered almost no suggestions on anything to do. What he mostly did is he asked us to explain our, our view or where we were coming from. And the more that we understood, and he just had a great way of asking the right questions to help us get to the point where we could actually understand each other. And understanding each other was like 75% of the battle for us. In fact, now when that thing comes up, it still can be an issue for us. But now when it comes up, I can actually instantly see when I've done the thing that we were, that was part of the issue. And now we kind of just smile at each other. I wink. I'm like, oh, I just did that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, guilty. But now I can see it because we had a third party come in and help us get this understanding so that we could find agreement. Brothers and sisters can fight, right? Uh, some of you all know I used to work with Campus Renewal. It was a ministry at UT that helped get like all 60 different churches and campus ministries at UT working together. Pretty wild. I'm talking like every different denomination, every different group, every different theological perspective, all coming together, but finding our agreement on Christ and his mission to make disciples of the whole campus. And we kept that as the highest common denominator. We were able to work together. But there were many, many times when there would be a conflict, and I was actually usually the one that would be the, you know, the true companion or the one that would be the third party called in to say, hey, can you help us? And every time I was trying to help them, ultimately what I was trying to do is to help them find agreement. Let's find a way to be reconciled by having the same mind on the things that we agree upon, and that would do the battle. So let me ask about your relationships. Are you experiencing peace in them? Are you experiencing shalom in your relationships with people? As even maybe was the Spirit nudging you while we were talking that maybe there's someone that you need to get a meal with this week or call this afternoon, someone that you can pursue and ask questions and try to understand so that you can get to the same place and find agreement in the Lord? If so, I'd urge you to do that. So Paul first starts here by talking about peace from the external. Now he's actually going to move to peace from the internal. What does it look like to have internal peace? To that, we'll go to verses 4 through 8. We'll read them together, but then we'll kind of look one by one at some of the verses. Meditation here. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. A lot here about how we can find personal peace through meditation. What I mean by meditation is simply dwelling on the things that will change your mind. Dwelling on the things that affect your peace, dwelling on the things of God will give you the peace that's promised here. We start first with one way he tells them to do it. Is he tells them three ways to do it, through rejoicing, through prayers and thanksgiving, and then through thinking about the right things. Firstly, rejoicing, simply said in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's, he's happy to repeat it twice. <laughs> like, you guys, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. How, how, when are we supposed to rejoice in the Lord? Always. Now, Paul's a realist. He's not saying, like, that you have to rejoice in your circumstances. He's not saying you have to be happy about any, any situation that you're in, but he's saying even in the midst of a situation, you can still rejoice in the Lord because you're not thinking about the situation. You're reflecting on the character of God. When you do that, you'll find your way to peace. So we don't have to rejoice in our circumstances. We can choose to rejoice 
by focusing our heart and worshiping our God who loves us. That's why I really love the Psalms, because when you see the Psalms, you see so many of them where the, the writer and the writer, writer of the Psalms is actually conflicted. Like they, they start off their Psalm where they're actually telling God about what's going on in their lives, their circumstances, something difficult that's happening. And then by the time you get to the end of most of the Psalms, he flips it and it ends with praise because the psalmist knew something. They knew that if they focused on their situation, they were just going to stay there. But the way to peace was to focus on how great God was. And yet, in the midst of a circumstance, we can still praise God. I like the way that it says in Psalm 43. He says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. When we worship, we're actually speaking to our souls. We're speaking to the part of us that's not at peace, and we're saying, why so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. And in the rejoicing, we can find God's peace. So rejoicing, at least to me, looks like a couple things. It looks to listening to or singing along with worship music. It can look at like reading these psalms and reflecting on them and praying them back to God. It can look like just simply pausing for a moment to express some prayers of worship and remind yourself of who God is and just praise Him for who He is, His greatness, His sovereignty, His love, His goodness. When we do that, we can find our way back to peace. The second thing He tells them to do by way of meditation is for prayer and thanksgiving. In verse 6 and 7, these famous verses, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's a realist again, right? Be, don't be anxious about anything. He recognizes that there's going to be situations in our lives that come up that are going to cause anxiety. There are. There's going to be all kinds of situations that are going to make us anxious and kind of try to take our peace. But the way that we get it back is we simply come to God with prayer, with petition, with thanksgiving. That's what God invites us to do. He invites us to pray. And much as we are called to rejoice always, when are we, when are we called to pray and give thanks? In every situation, it says, right? Again, we don't have to thank God for our situations, but what we can do is we can learn to thank God in our situations. We can divert our eyes from the things that are causing us anxiety and instead focus our eyes on things that God's doing around us that we can be thankful for, shifting the attention. Not only that, he invites us to pray. I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I have some sort of anxiety or something that's stirred up in me, what I first want to do is I want to go do something myself. Like, I want to go solve the problem. I want to go do something myself. My natural instinct isn't just to go to God and say, God, I need you to come through with this. I want to try to do it. And then when it usually happens when I try to solve the problem myself, it ends up creating more anxiety because I don't do things that well. But when I go to God, and this is the invitation, like, come to him, no matter your circumstances, and pray and ask him to be the one that intervenes and changes things. And whether he actually changes the circumstances and answer to your prayer, or he gives you the peace to sustain you through whatever difficulty you're going through. Either way, when we pray to him, he can do both of those things in us. And the call to do thanksgiving is so important there, right? To pause for a minute, to, to say thanks, and look at the things around you that are outside of the circumstance or the things that's causing the anxiety in you. To pause and give thanks. I had a fun time when uh, Brenda and I did uh, marriage counseling for Cameron and Kristen about a year ago, and one of the things that, I, that came up through our conversation was that her parents had taught her to do this practice called Five Good Things. I thought this was really cool and neat, Christian parents, that they, they helped her, like, when, when she has anxiety, they would say, pause, Kristen, give me five good things that are going on with you right now. In other words, like, give thanks. So I, I texted uh, Kristen last week, and I said, hey, could I tell that story, you know, that, that you guys do that? And she said, Sure. She said, actually, your timing's pretty, pretty good because I'm at work right now and I'm stressed and I need to do five good things. I said, well, do it. Let's do it right now. So here's actually what she wrote. 
One, my office is super supportive of one another. Two, Sela, that's our new puppy, uh, hasn't had an accident in the house for a few days. I'm getting to travel to Dallas this weekend with my mother-in-law for a knitting conference. Four, homemade jambalaya and sticky rice. Five, Justin picked an MC out night that is a dog-friendly place so Sela can come. There you go. Just in the moment, on the spot, when she was feeling anxiety, just give five good things. It's diverting our attention. And it's not just a trivial thing, but it's a way of actually recognizing God is the one who's given us these five things, that God's the one. So we're not just looking at the circumstance, but we're thanking God for what he's done. And when you do that, you present your prayers to God, that gives you the peace that passes understanding. It's a promise. So how are you doing at that? How are you doing when you get that sense of anxiety? Is your first instinct like mine to go try to fix it and do something? Can you start to change the way that you do things by saying, no, that my first instinct's gonna be to pray. When I feel the anxiety, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna ask him to intervene. And I'm not just gonna ask. I'm actually gonna do it with thanksgiving and look at the things around me that I can say, God, thank you for what you've done in these areas. That's how we move our way and our heart to peace and meditation. And finally, we get this third one here. Another part of meditation is just thinking about such things. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. I love this because the pathway to peace does not just have to be in uh, worshiping God or praying prayers to God. There's all kinds of other things that we can think about that stir our hearts toward peace. And that's, I think, that's why I think Paul uses this word over and over again, whatever. You know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, kind of then tries to sum them up by saying anything, in fact, that's excellent and praiseworthy. Think about such things. That's the encouragement that we can change the way that we're thinking. So I started thinking this week, like, what are the things that we're most prone to think about? Because our thoughts can either lead us toward peace, right? Or our thoughts can actually create the anxiety that, we're, that we don't want. Generally speaking, I think often we think about the past, right? Whether you're thinking about the past, maybe you're thinking back in more of a, a regretful way and you get yourself in a cycle of thinking of regrets or maybe you're thinking about the past from uh, a nostalgia kind of way, thinking about how good things used to be. Or sometimes we actually project our thoughts and we, we get wrapped up in thinking about the future, right? And it could be that we're thinking about the future in a way that causes anxiety because we don't know what's in the future. Our mind gets start thinking about the future and and if we're careful, our mind starts actually wanting things and, and, and we're pursuing just our own ambitions and things that we want. Or what happens when we think about money? When our minds get kind of thinking about money and what we don't have and what we wish we had. Or what about grades, students? When, you're, when your heart and your mind just continues to think and dwell upon your grades, how well you're doing or how well you're not doing. Or your desires. How often are your minds just racing with desires of things that you want and your own lusts, as the Bible would call it, whether it's a relationship that you want, whether it's sex that you're thinking about, whether it's possessions that you're eager to have, just your lusts and your desires and your thoughts can take you away from peace. Or maybe it's social media and your mind is always thinking about what you should post or how people responded to what you post or what other people are doing. Now, all these things are pretty morally neutral thoughts, right? There's, there's not, nothing flat out wrong or bad in most of the things that I listed there. But the question is, when you're dwelling on them, are they leading you to peace or are they taking you away from peace? Everything needs to be run through the grid of, is this excellent and praiseworthy? 
whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, train your mind to think about those things. And when you do, you'll experience the peace of God. Now, before we go to the third pathway, uh, I do feel like I need to make a, a, a bit of a little concession here. And that's, uh, I just want to make sure you're not hearing what I'm saying, something that I'm not saying. That the truth is a pathway to peace, particularly within this whole idea of meditation, the ones that we just spoke about, could be very difficult for some. So I recognize that there are, are real conditions of anxiety and depression and things that people struggle with mentally. And so I don't want you to hear me say that this is easy. Don't hear me say that. I also don't want you to hear me say that this is like formulaic, like follow one, two, three, and you're going to get this perfect outcome every time. So if, if you try it and it doesn't work, then that means you did it wrong. You got to try it harder. That's not what I'm saying. But what I do strongly want to point us to is the fact that this is Scripture, that this is true. And these promises that are attached are very true. But for some of us, some of us it's a lot harder. Some of us have a, a longer way to go. And that's where Paul actually turns to next. Like just when, within the reconciliation, sometimes you need a third party to help in reconciliation. When it comes to experiencing personal peace and, and growing to practice these things so we experience God's peace, sometimes we actually need someone to help us. And that's where Paul goes to next. Last verse in verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The final pathway is this. It's, it's application. It's learning from others, getting people's instruction, and applying it to your life. Like, I love Paul saying, like, look at me. Whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've witnessed, all the instruction that I've given you, like, put it to practice. And if you put things to practice, if you apply God's word and you take steps of obedience, the pathway to peace is always in obeying God. Disobeying God doesn't lead to peace. Obeying God and putting these things to practice will lead us to peace. And this is why we need each other, right? This is why it's so important. Paul's pointing to himself to say what you've learned or heard or received from me, what you've witnessed as I've practiced these ways to peace. You need to follow this instruction. We need to put ourselves in places where we're getting proper instruction. That's why we come. You guys have obviously made a choice to come here uh, to worship this morning. That was a, a good choice because you're going to come get instruction and consider how you can apply it to your lives. This is why we place such a high value on our Midtown communities, what we call our MCs, and getting together with small groups so that you're connected with other people and you're looking at God's Word together and you're instructing each other and you're instructing each other with a mind toward obedience to say, hey, we are going to look at this together so that we can obey and find the path to peace. Past, path to peace. <laughs> so we need this instruction and modeling. That's why we need to be in each other's lives like Paul was with the Philippians. And in time, what's promised is the peace of God. Do you want to experience God's peace in your life? Well, then obey. Put to practice the things that you hear on Sunday. Put to practice the things that you learn when you're seeking God yourself and reading your Bible. Put to practice the things that you talk about in your small groups with your friends because the pathway to peace is in obedience. If you're living a life of disobedience, you'll never experience peace because if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit won't allow it. The Holy Spirit will continue to cause turmoil, turmoil in your heart. You'll be disturbed and you won't experience God's peace. Similarly, if you're very religious and you take in all kinds of knowledge and you're all puffed up and know things but you're not actually applying anything to your life, the Holy Spirit won't allow you to experience peace your heart will get hard and you'll become self-righteous and there's no peace there. But peace comes through obedience. Some of y'all know I came to faith through uh, Campus Crusade that are now called Crew 
but in crew, I had the, the privilege of listening several times to their founder, Bill Bright, just an amazing man. And I got to hear him speak several times. And one of the things that he said that was like most impactful to me uh, was a teaching that he did at a conference on Psalm 32. If you're familiar with David, King David's story, David uh, committed adultery and then committed murder by murdering the guy's, uh, the woman's husband. And so David was caught in this sin. And there was a period where David was unrepentant, where he wouldn't confess his sin. And ultimately, God brings a guy named Nathan to him that actually calls him out on it. And then we get these two psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. They're these great psalms of repentance where David is acknowledging his sin and confessing it. And Bill Bright was teaching on Psalm 32, and he, he pointed out the, the verses that say when, when David was talking about when he had his, hadn't confessed his sin, he said, my bones were wasting away, and God's hand was heavy upon me. Like he was feeling it. No peace. No peace. But once he says, then I acknowledge my sin, the peace of God was restored to him, and he experienced God's forgiveness. Now, Bill Bright then said, this is what the line that he kept saying throughout the teaching, is there's no such thing as a happy, disobedient Christian, and there's no such thing as an unhappy, obedient Christian. He was talking about the pathway to peace, that this is the way that God set it up. When we take steps of faith and we apply what we've been learning, we take a step out and obey, that's part of the pathway to peace. So think about those three things. I want to ask you today, which, which of those do you feel like God's speaking to you, or maybe all of them? Do you need to seek reconciliation? Do you need to try to find agreement with someone in your life? Do you need to make time for meditation to practice those things of rejoicing, of praying and giving thanks, of thinking about the right things? Or do you need application? Do you need to put to practice the things that, that God's been speaking to you? When we do those things, peace will come. Can you imagine like a life full of peace? Remember, Paul's a realist. He says there's going to be anxieties, but can you imagine growing in your walk with God in such a way that when these anxieties pop up, it's just second nature for you to give thanks, to rejoice, to shift and find the peace of God? Can you imagine what it would be like to have reconciled relationships with everyone around you because you've sought the commonplace of agreement and humbled yourself to listen and understand other people? This is the peace that we can experience in Christ. Well, it's not specifically mentioned in this passage, there's actually a peace that's way more important than the peace that we've talked about today. And it's the peace that Jesus made for us, the peace that he provided in our reconciliation and our relationship with God. And that peace is more important than any of the other pieces that we spoke about. In fact, if we don't know that peace in our reconciliation with God, these other practices don't work because we're, all of them are pointed to that, that truth, that he's provided peace for us. He didn't write about it in Philippians, but he did it write it this way in Romans. Paul wrote this in Romans 5.1. Since you've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access to faith and to this grace in which we now stand. What Jesus did by his death and his resurrection is he provided the pathway to peace, which is peace with God. And we experience with peace with God and we, when, we, when we focus on that truth and, and really receive it, that's what then actually helps us do all the other things, right? Like what's going to help you be reconciled and find agreement with people whom you disagree? One way is to dwell on the fact that Jesus went to death for you to that great length to, to provide peace with God. And when you dwell on that and you believe that, we sing song and worship and we make it come to our heart and our soul, we're more able then to be reconciled with others because we know of his love that he's given to us. What's going to help you most in your 
practices of meditation and trying to rejoice and pray and give thanks and think about things. Ultimately, all those things should be pointed back to this very moment and what Jesus did for you. That's what you can always give thanks for. That can always be among your five good things. That's what we rejoice in when we rejoice. That's something that we can always think about and we do well to continue to think more and more and more about what Christ has done for us. That's a pathway to peace. We can't do it if we don't have that first piece of peace with God. Or even when it comes to thinking about the right things and applying it, we can't really apply or put to practice God's word without his spirit being the one that's motivating us to do it. We don't do it out of sure will. We do it out of reflecting on what he's done for us, and that makes us joyfully want to put to practice everything that he's instructed us to do. That's why we're going to end with communion, because we're going to remember, most importantly, the peace that God has made, that Jesus has made for us with God. As we reflect on it, may the Holy Spirit speak to you about any of those other ways that you want to grow and find a pathway to peace. Uh, let's worship together today as we take communion. We have communion in the front and in the back. Uh, we kind of do communion open here at Midtown in the sense that anyone who's put their faith in Jesus is welcome to receive communion. Um, if you've yet to do that, we're, we're super glad that there's uh, some of you here who haven't done that. We would hope that you wouldn't take communion until the time that you would say, yes, I do want to put my faith in Jesus and follow him. Let's worship together. Um, also, we have in the back Matt and Akiko during these next couple songs. Matt and Akiko, our prayer team today, they would love to pray. If there's anything that God's stirring in your heart, anything you need to pray for, they would love to pray uh, with you during this last set as well. Let's pray. Father, thanks for making a way to peace with you. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we come now and we, we celebrate that. We thank you that we have peace with God. As we reflect on it, God, I pray that you would use it to motivate us and teach us how to live in these other pathways of peace. Make us more worshipful, more grateful, more mindful of how you've loved us in Christ. Bring reconciliation, even in our church, if there's any conflict between people. Let us find a place of agreement and, and find peace. Speak to us now, even as we worship each individually, as only your spirit can. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.